0: You are listening to a message from Thrive Community Church, a church located in southwest Florida. For more info, visit us at thrive-fl.org. So welcome again. Uh, And this is the closing of our series on God with us, what that means. The term Emmanuel, which is, I guess, Hebrew, not Aramaic. But Hebrew, that that was the name that was used for Jesus or the promised Messiah, and it comes up in um, the Gospel of Matthew, chapter one, verse twenty-three where the angel Gabriel, talking to Mary, said, behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And so as we've done on a number of Sundays, let's say that together, the next one, just this. They shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now, what you could say here, actually, as we've been looking at what this means, The incarnation, God with us, God among us, God one of us, God for us, God alongside of us, God always with us. You could say this Matthew 1 verse 23 verse is actually the theme of the entire gospel of Matthew. It's what begins the gospel, but then also the passage we're looking at today to finish this off is the end of the gospel of Matthew, Matthew 28, verses 16 to 20. Now, you can look this up and see all this on the Bible app, and we've got all the little uh, wonderful notes and stuff on that. And you can download the Bible app. It's the U version. And when you hit more and events, you will find, um, if you've got your location services on, you'll find the notes for today. Okay? But today, um, whether you do that on your phone or tablet, or if you're going to do it um, on the screen, we're going to read now Matthew 28. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Powerful words, words that you might have heard before, maybe you have not. Um, But we're going to look at how the beginning and the end of the Gospel of Matthew basically brings that home, Emmanuel, God with us. I am with you always to the very end of the age. And what we're going to look at today is what does it mean? He talks about disciples in here. What what are the characteristics of a disciple? What characterizes a disciple of Jesus Christ? We're going to look at these four things. And one of them might be surprising to you. But the first is doubtful. Disciples are doubtful. Secondly, as they are adopted. Thirdly, they are formed, and finally, they are empowered. We'll take them one. I know four points, but guess what? We're going to go through them pretty quickly. (laughs) Well, relatively speaking. First of all, doubtful. I know that one might shock you, but it's right there in the text. I don't know if you noticed that right in that text. So it says that the disciples gathered together and they came up to the mountain at Galilee where Jesus had told them, and it says, and when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Now, I am amazed that Matthew actually includes this in his gospel. He didn't have to include every, in fact, a lot of details are not included in the gospel, but he did definitely place this one in here. Isn't that interesting? And I think it proves kind of the authenticity of the actual experience because, yeah, these were the 11, the 11, that is minus Judas, they had come together. So they had been the ones that were with Jesus for three years. They were the ones that also saw his crucifixion, but they were also the ones that had, up till this point, seen a number of times where Jesus had actually appeared to them resurrected from the dead. And yet, these 11, the ones closest to Jesus, still some of them doubted. I think there's both comfort in that and, um, shall I say, a challenge. First of all, comfort, having doubts, is our fallen normal state. If you've got doubts, everybody else does too. Okay? God still uses doubting people. In fact, there is no other type of people that He uses in the Bible. There's no super saints, no super, super spiritual, always convinced, always on top of things individuals that God ever uses. There's only one hero in all the Bible, and it is not Moses, it is not David, it is not Ruth, it is not even Mary, it's Jesus. Everybody else has doubts and struggles and fallenness and sinfulness and all that stuff going on. So if he's going to use anybody, he's got to use, and he chooses to use us. That's comforting to me. He chooses to use doubtful disciples even after the resurrection, even after everything was proved in their presence in a sense. He still uses them even with their doubts. Now the challenge is your doubts are no excuse. That is, I don't think you get to say, well, pastor, you know, you must have a lot of faith to do what you're doing. And I mean, to have dedicated your blah, 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 you know. But me, you know, I got my dad. So, you know, I need to leave all that discipleship stuff to those professionals with all that faith. You know, what was fascinating to me is um, at seminary, way back when, um, in 1986, I think it was, or 1987, I interviewed the president of the seminary I went to because he was heading out. He was leaving the seminary. Or, I, No, he wasn't president of the president. He became president later, but he was a professor. And uh, he was leaving the seminary for another ministry for a while. And so I talked to Dale Meyer and sat down with him for an interview for the newspaper. I was on the newspaper at the Sem. and. What was fascinating to me is he said that, you know what, they think pastors have the strongest faith, but actually, we probably don't. We're some of the weakest. The reason why we're at the seminary in the first place is because we are struggling with all this stuff. We know it's real, but we have our doubts. We, and so we need to learn, 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 and try to, he said, the people in the pews or in the seats are, probably have stronger faith than we do. I, you know, in general, I think he's probably right, okay? So I think it also is a challenge to say, you know what? Don't look to a human being and base your faith based on another human being and how strong they are. We're all fallible. We all have our doubts. We all have our struggles. Base it on Jesus Christ. Base it on what is happening as a result of through anybody's life. It's always... You know, I really am tired of, in the United States, the personality cults we have set up with some Christian leaders. And some of the, quote, greatest Christian leaders in our society, I think, are not necessarily serving us that well sometimes. I'm just saying. I'm not trying. I, I, I'm glad they're there. But it's really not about that. It's not about that human or that It's about Jesus, Okay. So the challenge is Jesus uses doubting disciples to make other disciples. So you're on the hook yet. <laughs> you don't get to say, hmm. You don't have to have a fully formed faith in order to disciple someone else. You can still pour your life. You can still serve. You can still pray for people, even with your doubts. And I'm not saying, hey, keep your doubts. I'm saying work through them. Figure them out. Um, move on. Keep studying. Keep reading. But It's no excuse, okay? So disciples have doubts. That was the first thing. But secondly, they're adopted. Now, that word is not in this text, but I think it was interesting as I was reading and studying for this sermon, some of the things I came across. One was from uh, Greg Ogden's book, um, Basic Discipleship. And he had a chapter that uses Matthew 28. And I'll get to this in just a minute. So I know I... Jumped ahead on that brook. Okay. But what's curious about um, this Matthew 28 section is all of a sudden at the end of the Gospel of Matthew, here we have this full blast. Trinitarian formula, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So some biblical scholars have argued, well, that can't have come out of the mouth of Jesus because that seems like a later development that either Matthew put in his mouth or the church did later on. And I think they're missing the point. They're forgetting what does it mean to be baptized into the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I think it's directly from the mouth of Jesus because he's really adopting us or welcoming us into his family. So in modern Western culture like we're in, okay, where do you find your identity? It's in what you do. You know, So often when somebody introduces himself to somebody else, it's like, hi, I'm a, and you fill in the blank. You don't say your last name necessarily and what clan you're a part of. You say what you do as a job. So often we, in our Western society, find our identity in our work. Others, though, these days are finding in the way they get to express themselves. And so it's the way they dress, their style, their thoughts, their outlandishness, or whatever. It's that individual expressivism becomes my identity, whatever that happens to be. And I can pick and choose whatever it is. Now, in Jesus' day, all of that talk would have made no sense to anybody. <laughs> they would have looked at you like, what are you... what? It would have made no sense because their identity was tied into their family, their clan. You know, even uh, their names often were, you know, the sons of Zebedee, right? So it's about the father. It's always in the line of work. That's what's so radical about what Jesus is saying here because he's not tying his identity, your identity, who you are, into what you do, into what you believe and what you make of yourself, nor into your family of origin or your nationality or your ethnicity or your um, ideas or your thoughts or anything else that most people do. Instead, he says, you are being immersed, baptized into, you are brought into, you are named with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You are welcomed into the family of the Trinity. So Baxter Kruger said it well. He said, from all eternity, God is not alone and solitary, but lives as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in rich and glorious fellowship of utter oneness. The Trinity life, the Trinitarian life is a great dance of unchained communion and intimacy fired by passionate self-giving, other-centered love, and mutual delight. When you are baptized, And this is what Greg Ogden then says, is that we are adopted into this family of love, this full communion. And in fact, we are given a position similar to and because of Jesus. Isn't that amazing? So he's saying to us, go out, look for the orphans, look for those who are finding their identity in all these things that don't matter. Look for people who are disenfranchised and marginalized or lost or confused or can't figure out who they are or what they are. I want them. I want them in my family. I welcome them in. They are going to have fellowship with my, the the fellowship that I have always had, the love between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is now theirs and they can become a part of it. Isn't that wonderful? God's calling us right here, right now, to find those orphans, whoever they happen to be, people who have been alienated and cut, cut off or desperate and broken, and bring them in. And what's fascinating, too, is adoption, right? He says, you know, it's not about what ethnicity, what age, what language, what background, what, all nations, I want them all. I want them all. I know, how many of you have actually gone to the movie The Last Jedi? One, two, wow, yeah. It's, OK, do you, it's spoiler here, yeah, sort of. It, you don't go because of the plot, let me tell you. And you do not go because of the character development, right? <laughs> It's pretty lousy, but the, si- the, the special effects were phenomenal. Okay, So um, one of the plots, if there is a plot at all, is, uh, and why I'm bringing this up is because I think this is what most people do. So Ray, I mean, because most movies are reflections of our society. Even oh, I know you're trying. But oh, you have not seen it. <laughs> OK. Well, Ray is, Ray is struggling. I'm just telling you this little line. She struggles with her identity in the whole movie and tries to figure it out. Is it because of what family she's a part of? Is it her background? She's the orphan at the beginning, sort of doesn't know who she is. She finds out who she is. And finally, in the end, she names herself at the end of the movie. And that's all I'm going to say. I'm not trying to spoil any more. But the sad thing is she names herself after a couple of fallen, fallible human beings. But she's made the choice. And we're all supposed to say, wow, that's great. That's basically the plot, by the way. (laughs) And a lot of people have done that today. And God says, I've got something radically more foundational that no matter what, no matter your age, no matter your intelligence, no matter your background, no matter what you do, no matter what you think, no matter what you... you've." I want you part of my family, and that becomes your value, your identity, your destiny, your direction. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, welcome into the family. You are adopted. Isn't that amazing? That's what baptism is really all about. Okay? God is offering you something radically different than the world. And thirdly, disciples are formed. Did I spoil that for you now? I kept it vague enough. Yeah, no, she was doing it the whole time. Well, that's the whole plot, basically. <laughs> it's okay, it was still worth seeing, I guess. Sort of. Thirdly, we're formed. You know, I think a lot of Christian culture today is kind of the, uh, you can kind of worship Jesus at a distance. You show up for an hour and then you leave. Um, and we think that's what Christianity is in our society. Kind of connect, boom, and then be gone. Um, is that what, you know? Jesus intends, for what I can tell, lo, I am with you always, to be in our face. <laughs> to be with us through everything. And he says, teaching them everything I have commanded you. And I don't think that's a bunch of information that he's just trying to teach. Christ intends to be involved in every aspect of your life, but maybe better yet, Christ wants you involved in every aspect of the Trinitarian life he has. He wants you immersed in his life, not you just adding Jesus a little on to the side of yours. So when Jesus says to teach, I don't think he's saying, here's some information, memorize these facts. But he's saying, learn from me, learn with me, learn of me. That's how he made his disciples the first place. They lived together, they walked together, they talked together, they struggled together. They were challenged by him together. They were always with him in one form or another. And he's intending to stay the same. That way, disciples are always been made. It's not a program. It's not, the curriculum is Jesus himself. And so when Paul himself, as um, a follower of Christ, talks to others, he says, this is the way it works. He says, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. In other words, I'm following Jesus, and what you do is just look at how I'm following Jesus, and then follow, and that's why here at Thrive, we focus on things like home huddles on relationships, on mentoring, on being involved in each other's lives. The best way to learn about Jesus is not by just reading a book. I have no problem with reading the Bible, but you could memorize the Bible and know nothing of Jesus. Jesus didn't set up a program. He called his church into existence to be following this verse and having Christ then finally. And so, Christ himself is the curriculum. This is why Paul says in Galatians, he says it this way, my little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. Isn't that an amazing passage? So his goal is that I become more and more like Jesus himself, not, okay, I know, I know um, these facts, I hopefully know a lot of facts, but they're not just facts. So disciples are formed through relationships, in relationships, for the sake of relationships, because that's how Jesus set it up. And finally, empowered. So Jesus said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. Now, this section of the Great Commission scares a lot of people. I mean, it's kind of scary to think about this, right? It's pretty all-inclusive. He has all authority. Oh my gosh. Are you expecting me to to go out and push other people to go to church? You know? I'm supposed, no. No, that's not what he's saying. I love how Kelly Johnson wrote uh, about this. She said, these disciples are not an army ordered to make all nations subject, nor are they franchise owners sent out to increase market share for the brand. I think a lot of that's going on in the United States. They are followers of the crucified one, sent to welcome into their motley company, numbskulls, cowards, and squabblers that they are, all of the broken and beautiful people of the world. This is still overwhelming. And there have been many times through the ministry here uh, at Thrive, through my ministry over some 30 years at three different campuses, at LSU, at University of Florida, here at FGCU. I can recall times even back in like the late 80s. I'm on the campus of LSU, and there's 26,000 students walking around the campus in the middle of this beautiful campus in Baton Rouge. And I just look up and go, like, Lord, this is just totally overwhelming. How am I supposed to? How, there are so many lost and lonely and str- How's this going to work? How does this work? And that's why the promise in this passage that started the gospel ends the gospel of Emmanuel is so important, where Jesus says, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. What, it, what is it? What is Christianity, you know? People have tried to categorize it in so many different ways. At the time of the early Christians in the Roman Empire, they thought it was atheistic because they didn't seem to have everything. Wait a minute. They don't have temples. They don't have priests. They don't have um, sacrifices. All the other temples and pre, you know, they have all, this, all these things. These people, they just have relationships. They just love each other. And they talk about, what? What is this? Right? I've heard, you know, and I, I, I believe, you know, that Jesus Christ died for my sins on Calvary, took them away, and I am given his righteousness. But is righteousness a thing? Is it kind of like a ticket to heaven? Is it a little robe that I actually, you know, what is his righteousness? Is it stuff? No. I ask this because I think when we look at Christianity, we often think, oh my goodness, how am I going to convince somebody of this stuff and this thing and these ideas when it's not about that? It's about a relationship with Jesus Christ. You know? There's a lot of transactional thinking in Christianity. That is, I do this and then I get that. If I just trade in this deal, I do this, do that, the other thing. When it comes down to it, it's really the gift is not a bunch of stuff that God gives you. It's not that He takes away this and gives you this. The gift is the giver Himself. John's Gospel. In John's Gospel, there's a chapter, John 17, where Jesus prays for everyone. And this is how he defines it there, what eternal life is. He says, and this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. And the knowledge here is not information. The knowledge is deep abiding relationship, knowing and being loved by, and knowing I am loved by, and knowing who my God is, and that he is with me always. Knowledge is not information. And that's what Jesus makes clear in this passage. Lo, I am with you always. Not, lo, I've got this stuff to go with. Here's the manual. Go out and share this information. Lo, I am with you always. I am with you in everywhere you go. If you think this is overwhelming, don't worry. I'm the one who's going to work in every situation. I'm the one that's setting it up. I'm the one that will be right by your side. I'm the one who is opening up the opportunities. I am the one whom you are presenting to someone else. I am the one who will love you and be with you no matter what. I am the one who forgives you. I am the one who prays for you. I'm the one interceding for you. I'm the one who's carrying you. I am the one who is empowering you. I am the one. I am always with you. So it's not a substance. It's not like you get a little booster shot of the Holy Spirit. You get all of Jesus. And that's the only, what really separates disciples from the rest of the world is the fact that God is with me. It's not me. I've got doubts. It's not me. God adopted me because that's who God is. He's brought me in. It's not me forming myself, He is forming me. It's not me willpower wise. It's he's empowering me. So disciples are doubtful, adopted, formed, and empowered. Praise God. He is with us always. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, this series has been so good and comforting in one way and challenging in another. You're always with us. You're with us in the valleys of our lives, the valley of the shadow of death. You're with us in the desert like you were with Elijah. You're with us in the mountaintops, in the busy streets, in the stillness of night. You are Emmanuel, the one who is with us. We pray, Lord God, as we um, move into this new year, that you would just show your presence be with us, Lord. You know the relationships right now that need your presence. Lord, We're struggling with certain things. We need you to be there with us. Lord, you know the challenge and the resistance we have seen in family members and friends to your love and mercy and truth. Lord, be with us. Be the one working in those situations and uh, just make us teachable and formable and responsive responsive to your goodness, Lord, through those things. Thank you, Lord, for the fellowship, for the mercy that you give us, for the fact that you have adopted us and brought us in through the waters of baptism into your kingdom. We are amazed at that, Lord, that you want us and that we are yours. So bless us now, Lord, as we um, offer ourselves to you And receive all that you have for us. So, Lord, through the offering itself is just a a token of what you've given us. And then as we, Lord, prepare our hearts to receive the Lord's Supper as well. All this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.